Hello and welcome to the MHG Podcast. I'm your host Stu. I'm afraid there's no Brad this week, so a couple of pieces of business before we get into the games. Unfortunately, Brad's not well. He has vision issues, as you probably all know. That's his story. I'll let him talk about that when he's next on the podcast. But essentially, you know, he has issues in one eye that doesn't work and occasionally in the other eye. So unfortunately, yeah, he can't be here. Hopefully being with me alone won't be too off-putting, but, you know, I understand if it is. Anyway, apart from that, if there's fan noise in the background, do apologise. It's because I've got a fan going. I have to. Oh, it's so hot. So, as a lot of people are probably struggling with at the moment, the heat, in, the heat is absolutely intense. It's a little bit crazy. I'd say in this room it's about, oh, I don't know, 34 degrees or something, which is what? 90 Fahrenheit, maybe a bit more, 92. It's, it's it's very hot. I'm coping by sticking huge, gigantic fans on in every room of the house, pretty much, and just kind of thinking, oh well, the energy bill is going to be crazy this summer. What can you do? I don't want to melt like a popsicle all over the floor, so you do what you got to do. Anyway, let's move on to the games. So first up this week, I've been playing a game called Bright Memory Infinite, which, despite its title, isn't a kind of ARPG, which is what it sounds like to me. It's a first-person shooter, and it's got a couple of twists in it. So the first major one is that it was developed by one guy, which is pretty impressive. It's a very, very attractive game. It's, you know, kind of cross-generational in its looks. It doesn't do anything absolutely exceptional, but it does have ray tracing that you can switch on. If you want to have a look at how that works for different platforms, check out the Digital Foundry review of the game. I'll post a link to it. But essentially, what it's one of its major quirks, one of its major sort of outstanding USPs is that you have some melee attacks and it kind of makes it a little bit of a crossover game, kind of like Red Steel on the Wii all those years ago, or possibly like Shadow Warriors because melee combat can be quite important and you have your ordinary weapons so you kind of have you know what you'd expect an assault rifle a shotgun a pistol a sniper rifle that kind of thing they have secondary fire you can beef all of these things up with using stats using accumulated points that you get around the level and you also have a telekinetic grab and push it's kind of like the one in Half-Life 2, but yeah, much more limited. And you also have a sword that also can be beefed up and powered up and give it extra abilities. Apart from that, there's occasional kind of, not scripted, but you know, semi-scripted bits of using a grapple hook and things like that. And it plays very, very much like Crisis. Now, if you've listen to the podcast a lot you'll know I'm a big fan of the Crisis series yep I'm that one I'm that single person and yeah okay so it, it yeah, had quite a few missteps I think the second one was okay but a little bit too rote and linear and it was also interrupted by stuff quite a bit sort of Q2E style stuff but more like press X to climb under this thing or hop over that thing and there's a bit of that as well in Bright Memory Infinite so it's obviously taken quite a few cues from that and from Killzone, which is another series that I really like that nobody else likes. So, yeah. But 
uh, despite it having it doesn't have a vast amount of assets you know there's quite a bit of asset reuse it's mainly from where i'm up to and i've played for about three hours it's got kind of lots of grasslands and then traditional chinese buildings that you investigate and the weather is singular you're you're notionally at least investigating what's happening with a, a huge black hole opening in the sky and it's causing the weather to go completely traumatic so there's lots of rain and wind and all that sort of stuff and that's that's kind of stuck on well that's all all there is so far in what i've played but what they've done with it what he's done with it what the developer's done makes it look really good it's very appealing and the character animations is good the combat's quite chunky and hefty i quite like that there's some good movement options so you know when you sprint you can do a slide and there's you know little bits of vaulting going on and you can do a little bit of wall running so for a little bit of titanfall 2 influence but it was much more scripted so yeah it's got a lot of stuff chucked in there i think coming on to negatives that's the main negative really i think there's a little too much in there i think that you can be stuck with a little bit of analysis paralysis when it comes to choosing a weapon because there's not a great deal of variety between them especially between things like the pistol which has which is rapid fire apart from its secondary mode and the assault rifle and even the secondary modes are fairly similar there's nothing going on there that's particularly revelatory nothing new you're certainly not looking at like Torok or perfect art levels of inventiveness for your weaponry so they can be a little bit bland and being able to power up stuff like your telekinesis and your sword separately you don't get it you get a reasonable amount of points but you it's not obvious what you should put them into and using all that moveset in combat it's not fiddly but it's like i don't really understand what the priority is you know i think the balance around the weapons and the powers isn't perfectly delineated and it's a little bit over the top which i don't i don't say very often because i love over the top action games but it doesn't feel like it's got that unique kind of discipline that you'd see in something like devil may cry which i know it's a third person game but you know that has a lot of variety between different types of weapons as well as superpowers so yeah it's it's very 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 solid it's very great as a tech demo you know it's it's uh, for one person to have done it is quite quite momentous really and very impressed on that level uh whether it's an essential purchase i don't know but i would say if you're looking for something to get for your for your console to show off the ray tracing and don't feel there's been very many games so far to do that it's probably one for that along with ghostwire tokyo which i know is ps5 only on the pc it's very good it runs well it's available on switch so it's been scaled so it works well on pretty much everything so it works well on the steam deck as well and i can get a reasonably consistent 60 frames even with the settings quite high i haven't bothered faffing with them quite a lot i probably should stick it at 40 and stay with that because it does drop uh, significantly when there's a lot of enemies on screen but it does pretty well on the deck all things considered and the graphics do look good they are kind of around the titanfall 2 sort of level maybe not quite yeah they're not as quite nicely designed or as varied and uncolorful it's got a kind of brownish greenish grayish kind of palette 
not very bright <laughs> but um but yeah no it's fun and i think as a tech demo as something for the future and see where this guy ends up it's one to keep your eye out for and maybe pick up if you fancy the sound of it The next thing I've been playing is a game called Frogun or Frogun. I think it has to be Frogun because it's about a gun that you carry around that's a frog. So I think it's Frogun, although it's only got one G. I'll let them off for that, you know? Okay, you don't have to have like perfect grammatical sentence construction when you're working in the game industry. But basically what this one is, is completely, couldn't be more different from Bright Memory Infinite. It's a platform throwback that is very much in the kind of ps1 style or perhaps n64 an absolute push so yeah it's very charming and blocky in a deliberate kind of a way and it's just a platform game where you navigate around this area various areas and you have to collect coins and you have to do it in a certain well not a certain time level there's no like time level restriction but the quicker you do it the better and really the best comparison as to what kind of game it is is it's like captain toad treasure tracker um but it's a little bit more platformy and a little bit faster and the camera is less rigid so you still need to move the camera around to see the environmental obstacles like you know mario 64 but it's a free camera and it doesn't sort of clash or get stuck behind walls so that's good it's quite simple looking obviously because it's designed that way it has a lot of filters you can use that are some of them are quite good there's a an arcade one i think there's one that makes it look like a a crt that's dying you know it's got big vignetting and curves around the edges it's got a, a very very interesting one called led that makes it look like an old lynx or game gear oh, that's pretty cool but and they're only kind of you know little peripheral things but there's some really good ideas the first couple of levels are as you'd expect you have a um, your little frog gun you can use it to both grab stuff that and grab enemies and fire enemies at other enemies or against the wall to dispatch them and you can use it as a kind of grappling hook to cross over certain sized gaps what it brings in is you know because the only other thing you can do is jump what it brings in like captain toad is the environments change quite a lot so you have a lot of platforms and moving sections and appearing and disappearing things things that you might not know you can grab little quirks like that so that you encourage to explore the level and you know the quicker that you do it the, the more points you get and the more coins you collect and all of that kind of stuff and there are secrets and you have to collect those as well absolutely no surprises here whatsoever other than the fact it's been very 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 well designed for a such a simple game um it's not brilliant you know it's it doesn't bring anything to the table that you would go oh my goodness you know why haven't we seen this before but what it does do it does it very 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 nicely very pleasantly and the levels are uh, short enough so that you can just spring into them and spring out of them really quick and another thing that i like is that if you fail that's not a problem and you don't have lives and you can also whiz through each one of them if you want to and just complete them with like yeah rubbish scores and <laughs> hardly any coins and all the things that i normally end up with which is very little but you've enjoyed yourself because you've done the main platforming part so that's great and goodness knows you can't compare it to things like you know odyssey mario odyssey or or Super Mario 3D World, it's just you know, not in anywhere near the same league. 
by any stretch, but for for a tiny indie game, it's quite a decent amount of time wasted kind of fun. And you know, I definitely say if playing that kind of you know Banjo Kazooie, you know, old-fashioned Spyro-style platform game from back in the day appeals, uh, but you want it with yeah, kind of picking off ideas from other places to make them into something a little bit, well, quite a lot streamlined, I would say, and, and sharp and, and nicely put together with a good solid technical base to it. The engine seems really solid and I've not seen any dodgy clipping or jumps you think you should make that you don't, you know, none of that. So if, you've, if all of that appeals, I'd say pick it up. I'm not sure exactly what it's available on. I've got it on PC. It's very good on PC, obviously, and I've been playing it on the Steam Deck. And again, works perfectly, no problems whatsoever, just like Bright Memory Infinite. And it's flawless at 60 frames per second for the for the whole game. So yeah, if, if any of that sounds good, yeah, check it out. I'm guessing it'll be on everything, if not now, then soon. And yeah, give it a go. The next set of things I've been playing are emulated games and very specific types. I've been playing all of the Sega Model 3 games, well not all of them, but a good proportion. And you'll remember from podcast episode 100 where we did the Sega special that, you know, obviously I love arcade games and I've played loads and loads and loads. And as many as I can get my hands on at the time and as many as I could find in the arcades. And then ever since I'll have dipped into them on emulation as often as possible and I got the Model 3 emulator called Supermodel working on the Steam Deck without any problems it's really really simple so I was really chuffed with that and yeah I gave them all a whirl and it's a funny board so it came out in like the, the late 90s it was prior to the Dreamcast but it was really really expensive it was a very very expensive board to develop for and was much more powerful than anything around at the time. Powerful than more, much more powerful than consoles, and more powerful than even high-end PCs. Lots of custom chips, all of that kind of stuff. And you know, this is represented in the games themselves, which are you know still to this day when you put them in a, in a higher resolution, you bump the resolution scale up quite a bit. Still look really good, and there are kind of you know not not kind of triple-A or even double-A, but you know, single-A games that look only as good as this kind of thing, and they, yeah, age pretty damn well, but the, the interesting thing about it is, obviously, the games themselves rather than technology, and there are some really strange choices. Some of them are obvious, and some of them really aren't. So the obvious choices are, you know, there's the sequels, so there's Daytona USA 2, Battle on the Edge, which is very, very similar to the first game, as you'd expect, except better looking. There's Sega Rally 2, Ditto. There's other sequels as well, so like Fighting Vipers 2, Virtual Striker 2, Virtual On 2, a lot of 2s. But there's a lot of, well, you know, similar to the, the, the model, uh, model 2 board, there's a lot of kind of out there one-offs because they were playing into the style of the cabinet and there's things like get bass you know sega bass fishing which is a very strange one good but strange 
Spike Out, which never came to any home platform. Loads of them never came to a home platform. Only a, only about 10%, or maybe a little bit more than that, 20% of them versus like 50% of the Model 2 lineup ever ended up coming out on home machines. And things like Spike Out were a really strange miss. You know, why did that not rock up on the Dreamcast? And partly it might have been because when the Dreamcast came out, they also brought out the Naomi board as a sequel, which was a lot cheaper, but still quite strong, you know, quite a powerful board, and was much more cross-compatible with the, with the Dreamcast, because it was basically the same thing, but with more RAM. And it, they kind of focused on using that, really. But it's a shame, because you missed out on, on some really important things. And in terms of the, the best that I've played, I would say... Okay, well, LA Machine Guns, which did get a release on home consoles. I can't remember which ones. It might have been the Wii. Might have got a port because that got loads of light gun style games. But in the arcade, it had a huge, massive machine gun on the cabinet, which is great, uh, but not really something you can replicate at home very easily. And ditto The Lost World Jurassic Park, which was... Also, it wasn't amazing, but it was good fun. Decent blaster, but you can't really do that at home. Fair enough. But Spike Out, they should invite. That's a... Uh, a open, not an open world, but like a brawler where you just wander the streets in 3D and beat people up. And it had some nice combo stuff with the buttons going on, but wasn't overcomplicated. It's it's a nice game. It's a good one to to have a go on. Quite quite interesting, quite fun, quite a bit of thought going on in it. I was also quite a big fan of Star Wars Trilogy, which is a rail shooter, pretty much where you're just obviously controlling the reticle, you're, it, it's in first person perspective, and it has three main missions, which is the Death, the Death Star Trench Run, the Battle on Hoth, and the Endor Speeder Bike Chase. And there's also a couple of extra bits in there that I won't spoil. And it's got, it, again, really good. It's, it's, it's nothing majorly special, but it runs attractively. The missions are short and sweet. They're very much in keeping with the films, so it feels quite, you know, it feels quite good like that. I'd say though that you know it got completely superseded, unfortunately, in a way, by you know the Rogue Squadron games, um, even the N64 one, because there's a much more meat to them. And although the early ones weren't as pretty, I'd say that the the one on the GameCube was, you know, the first one on the GameCube Rogue Leader was a better better looking game as well as a better game but it's still got its you know positive aspects it's worth checking out the only problem with all of these games is that the arcade a lot of the arcades were designed around a single yoke or joystick and if they didn't they were based around steering wheels and playing them on emulator without a steering wheel or a yoke or anything arcadey like that and you're using the analog stick it returns to the center so you've got a little problem with acceleration so if you want to quickly get the cursor over to the left hand side of the screen for example it will go very very fast if you don't go gentle with the stick because obviously it's not been written or mapped to that type of control so you may not notice, but like when you're playing a first-person shooter, the, the beginning part of your arc when you're moving the stick is slower than when you're moving it towards the edge. 
so it recognises that you know you're speeding up as it were if you need to get to the, the more extreme angles and this doesn't have that and also it, it returns to the centre when you let go so holding the cursor in a position is difficult because you have to hold this very twitchy analog stick very 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 still in a certain position uh, to keep it in, in one place and moving it around and doing that each time is really tricky so it's not really suited for that kind of play you'd think oh great yeah I'm going to chuck a, a racing game on here and you can use the stick and you can but it doesn't have the same feel and it is a little bit awkward and none more apparent than I mean it, it's a little apparent in Scud Race which we'll come to in a minute quite apparent in Daytona but really apparent in Dirt Devils which is a kind of rally cross kind of demolition derby style uh, drive around muddy tracks which is it seems pretty good but I really need to get that on a steering wheel and speaking of you know Scud Race for me uh, that's the get the game that really defines the Model 3. I think it's the best racer on that, even though there's Le Mans, which is good as well, and obviously Daytona, they're good, and a few others, like uh, the Harley Harley Davidson game, can't remember what it's fully called, Harley Davidson Riders, and uh, they're all okay, but Scud Race really stands out, and they had a couple of the stages from this game appear in the Xbox version only of Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast, and they're great tracks, and I think that's what really makes it stand aside from its competitors at the time, is that it's a Daytona-style game, but the handling is, is different to make it more unique to itself, and the courses are really interesting and very, very good and require a lot of practice. It kind of gives me a throwback feel to virtual racing, you know? It has a little bit of the same feeling of that game. Not identical though, and all of the Sega games have different, are modelled differently for how they handle and react so that they feel distinct. I would say if you have the opportunity, try all of these things out. I would recommend if you're really into racing games and you have a wheel, try and get them on a PC. Even a potato PC can run the Supermodel emulator, so you really don't need to have anything particularly powerful. It, your work PC will probably run it, you know? So stick it on there. Get your wheel attached and get it all configured. There's lots of guides online. Give it a go, see what you think. For me, yeah, some of the games were better than others. It's more still, playing Model 3, playing Supermodel is more of a curio than it is a satisfying experience. It's more of a, a tech thing. It's more of a history lesson than it is a fully fun experience unless you're really willing to put the time into getting all the manual configuration right so that it feels right to you. But that said, honestly, worth a go for Daytona, for Scud Race, for Star Wars Trilogy, for the Harley Davidson game, and even a couple of others definitely spike out. Check it out, fairly easy to find online. Go for it if you want to. And finally, not moving in from arcades at all, I, I just briefly want to talk about joysticks. I, curious if any of our listenership really bothers with them anymore i know that they're kind of they're kind of relegated to a couple of niches within the community so people who get them for fighting games and also people who get them for shooting games people who are obsessed with one or both of those particular genres and i'm not i just love them for any kind of arcadey style game I always choose them as my preference if I have the opportunity. They're my lead type of input when it comes to retro gaming. 
I just find them, you know, more precise and more fun to use than, than controllers. And I think partly because of the level of comfort. So obviously the, the weight of the the weight of the thing that you're using for input is on your lap so or on a table, so it's not discomforting your hands. The throw on the stick means that you're not you're just using like your thumb all the time, you're using all of your digits. So it's more comfortable from that perspective and you can do it for longer. And you know, same with, with your um, your right hand on the, the buttons setup as well. You're not having to press these small buttons all the time. They're great big responsive buttons that are easily tapped. So part of that is a bit of an old man thing of, you know, my, my knuckle joints aren't what they were and I can't just use a fiddly control pad for a whole afternoon and not feel it aching in my in my knuckles like an old duffer who should be in a retirement home but partly because yeah it is the the expensive ones and pretty much all of them are expensive but worth it or very responsive and regardless of of what you think of them as do they fit into my lifestyle are they too big you know what's the point of them for most games when it comes to that versus a controller they are definitely more comfortable and they are definitely more responsive because it's a full micro switch versus a little rubber pad with a carbon contact being pressed down onto a circuit to complete it. So, yeah, it, it, you know, inarguably more precise and accurate and not by a massive amount, but, you know, by significantly enough for it to, to make a, you know, a real difference. And I just really love them. And I got one recently that's absolutely amazing. I got it in a shipment from Japan and, and they ended up costing me a lot of money because the shipment was so heavy because of all the all the joysticks. But it was totally worth it in the end. And what it is, is, and this isn't the full name because I can't decipher all of it from Japanese, but it's a Gundam Extreme Versus for PS4 and obviously works with PC as well and will work with PS4 and PS5, so it's, it's a good one to, for going forward, but it's really gorgeous and so heavy and I love heavy joysticks, they, you feel like you can just chuck them around, you can throw the stick around, you never have to worry about damaging the internals, even if you did they'd be easy to swap out, and there's just something very immediate about them, very fun, very kind of industrial as well, uh, that, that feeling of you're playing a game, you're playing something that's entirely fictitious and fictional and and light and silly, but you're using something that's designed for heavy abuse so that you can go, you know, go completely ham on it. It's a good feeling and um, a very arcadey feeling. And yeah, I, I kind of, as I've always said, I, I miss that arcade experience of the uniqueness and the industrialised fun. <laughs> side of things and so yeah I like having them at home so I'd be curious if people who are listening still use them and I used them for uh, my as I said my consoles and I'm still playing Demons of Astaborg on the Mega Drive which is a new game and a really good new game and I'm using my Persona 4 Arena PS3 stick for that a Hori stick really nice beautiful artwork nice and small perfect for a, the smaller consoles with fewer buttons quite light but you know still substantial uh, using that with a little adapter to play on it and yeah great great experience 
and I remember from back in the day of playing like Golden Axe even when I when I first got it like in 1989 when I first imported a Mega Drive that the control pad would start making my thumb ache and, and not blister but I did get callous <laughs> and playing it now with the joystick it brings it so much closer to the arcade and as I say you know it's not just the responsiveness it's that that industrial feeling that kind of like we've there's these small sprites they look like cartoons but you're using this great big implement that they stick in uh, the the cabs of cranes and stuff uh, to, to move it around just because of the way that the arcades developed from the 50s onwards yeah so it's a unique thing I really like it it's not micro electronics it's macro electronics controlling these little games and just feels nice and fun and weird and all these things that are the arcade really and I think when I hopefully eventually get my own house I'm going to have a dedicated games room that is arcade styled and I, I don't normally go in for stuff like that but I can imagine just that with the low lights and you know flashing cord lights and stuff like that and a lot of noise yeah it feel like a bit of a cavern like a friendly cavern anyway that's all from me this week we all hope that Brad feels better really, really soon and that he's available to come back on next week, hopefully. In the meantime, follow us on all the socials, join our Discord, chat with people of like mind on any subject that you like, and in the meantime, stay safe and stay sane.